we go home to our, our private time at home and we open God's Word and spend time with the Lord because we believe the Bible is God's Word to us. We find that it is the story of God's redemption of sinful people like all of us gathered here today. And I want you to know that as you read the pages of the Bible, you have revealed to you the glory of God, who He is, and the salvation He offers through His Son. And if your life has not been changed through Jesus Christ, if you've not been changed by spending time in God's Word every day, today to discover that your life can be changed. As you interact with God's Word, we noted last time how it's living, it's active, it is breathed of God, and because of that, it can change your life. It is as powerful today as the day in which it was written, the time in which it was spoken by God to His people who penned these words. It is equally impactful in your life today, and it will change your eternal life. It will change your daily life. Now, there are those who don't read the Bible, uh, maybe just because of various reasons, time, schedule, and all the rest, and we'll touch on that in a moment. But there are those who don't read the Bible because they believe that it's just an ancient writing. It has no relevance for today. It makes no impact for today. And beyond that, it's not trustworthy. It's not reliable. It's just fable and fiction uh, put together in a book. Now, we hear a lot about fake news in our day and time. People talk about fake news and politics and all the rest. Well, that claim is really fake news in many ways because what we discovered last time is how God's Word is accurate. It is powerful. It is true. And you can go back and take a look at that from last time. But people claim things like, well, you can't look to the Bible and rely upon it because it doesn't line up with history. You heard people say that before? Well, you look at the historical record, you look at the Bible, those things don't line up. Well, Actually, we find time and time again the Bible proven to be true, where history said this is inaccurate, but over time, through discoveries in archaeology and the record, we find that the Bible has been proven true. Now, don't let me lose you in this introduction, because this is important as we talk about uh, the veracity, the truthfulness of God's Word. One of these occasions that was previously thought of to be inaccurate in the Bible, for example, compared to what was recorded in history is Daniel chapter 5. You can make note of that, but I'll read it to you. There we find King Belshazzar. He's enjoying a banquet. They're using relics of God's people that they had taken and stolen from God's people, and they're having this wild party. And all of a sudden, you remember the story where the hand started writing stuff on the wall? And Belshazzar is just really thrown. Now, history did not have recorded a King Belshazzar in the historical record. So it was thought the Bible's inaccurate, didn't line up with history, it was false, all that kind of stuff. Now, understanding a little more about the context as we find it today, let me read to you verse 6. It says, The king's face turned pale, and his thoughts so terrified uh, that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. Now, that's pretty graphic, but I think I'd have the same experience if a hand started writing on the wall today, so I kind of get that. But years ago, skeptics said, look, Look, there's no king of Babylon named Belshazzar, and that story's been invented by someone unfamiliar with Babylonian history. Therefore, the Bible is false. But here's what happened over time. By the end of the 19th century, the early 20th century, archaeologists started finding things that had Belshazzar's name written upon them. In particular, these cylinders they found, and as they interpreted what, those, what was written on those cylinders, it 
showed that there was a king, Nabonidus, in Babylon, which was recorded in history, but also speaks of his son, Belshazzar, which affirms that he existed. Now, there's still a dilemma here, and don't get lost in the story. King Nabonidus, proven in history, but Belshazzar, the Bible talks about, not. But now in these cylinders, we have revealed that Belshazzar is Nabonidus' son. Now, as time goes on, they find more information about Nabonidus, that he was an absentee as a king. He traveled into Arabia, kind of left the Babylonian territory to his son, Belshazzar, who reigned as a co-regent. He was traveling the world. So there's Belshazzar ruling over the nation as the king on behalf of his father. This is why Daniel chapter 5, verse 16, which once made no sense to historians, now makes sense today. Belshazzar, this co-regent who's ruling on behalf of his dad, says to Daniel, however, I've heard about you that you can give interpretations and solve problems. So Daniel, a hand appeared at our party. We either drank something really bad or something crazy is going on, and we need you to interpret what's been written on this wall. And we know, Daniel, that you have this power to do that kind of thing in interpreting dreams. So therefore, if you can read this inscription and give, give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So why the third highest? Because Nabonidus was the first, the king who was traveling off in Arabia, living life, gave the power to his son, who was second highest in the kingdom, and then he promises Daniel through the interpretation, you'll become the third highest in the kingdom. What does this remind us of? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. The grass withers away, the flower will fade, but in time we will discover the word of our God remains forever. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Psalm 119, I pointed to a moment ago in verse 89. Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. So people say, well, the Bible doesn't line up with history. But over time, archaeology, discoveries find that the Bible is accurate. Then they say this, and this is more common, well, the Bible doesn't line up with science. Now, the Bible's not a science book, but where it speaks on matters of science, it speaks accurately. And time and time again, the Bible has proven true. Take, for example, back in the day of Columbus. People believed the earth was flat. Columbus, don't sail too far. You'll go off the end of the earth. Now, we have flat earthers today. Anybody want to be bold enough to raise your hand? You're a flat earther. Please don't do that. Uh, weird people, right? The kind of people that put pineapple on their pizza, right? I mean, just weird, right? Uh, you shouldn't do that. Today, we're calling for an invitation to trust Christ and repent of pineapple on pizza. I don't understand that. But if people had read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, and paid attention to what Isaiah said long ago, they would have discovered God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. In the Hebrew language, the word circle there is sphere. So uh, even in the day of Isaiah, before they understood the earth being round, here we have Isaiah penning these words beyond his own understanding. How? 
by divine inspiration, prompted by God through the Holy Spirit, as 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, we talked about last week, says, Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, what? Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, The word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. Take the stars in the sky. Throughout history, we have various uh, calculations about the number of stars in the sky. In 150 B.C., Hipparchus claimed to have counted the stars and mapped the sky. We don't have his listings today, but it's thought that he concluded there were about 850 stars in the sky. Must have had some bad vision. I feel like I could count more than 850 stars in the sky tonight. But that was his calculation. Well, Ptolemy comes along a little bit later. He says it's not 850 stars in the sky. It's 1,022 stars in the sky. He has a little bit better eyesight. That was the science of the day. And the Bible was out of harmony with the best minds of the day. Galileo comes along. He has his homemade telescope. He says, no, guys, y'all are way off. There are 30,000 stars in the sky. Now, scientists today tell us there may be as many as 100 octillion stars. I don't even know what that means, all right? It's like 1 and 29 zeros after it. That's how many stars there are. Yet Jeremiah, in chapter 33, references the fact that the stars are innumerable. We cannot count the vastness of the stars in space. No one can count them. How did Jeremiah know that? Divine inspiration. People thought hundreds, yet Jeremiah spoke, prompted by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. We say today God's word is true. And where science is in disagreement with Scripture, give it time, science is going to catch up. People say, well, there's no way the earth was created by God. No way it happened in seven days of literal creation. There's no way there was a global flood in Noah's time. But as science catches up, as they believe the archaeological record, as they understand more and more, all these signs continue to point the truth of the Bible. I think about infamous... Uh, atheist Richard Dawkins. He says that, well, we know in evolution all the way back to within a millisecond of the existence of the universe. We can go all the way back in explanation of our theories, but we get right there where something came out of nothing and we can't explain it. But sooner or later, the science is going to show us how something came from nothing philosophically, scientifically impossible for something to come from nothing apart from an omnipotent creator who brought it to be. So the Bible is not a history book. It's not a science book, though on those matters it speaks accurately. So what is the Bible? It's God's love letter to you. So let's turn this practical today and talk about some key factors today and in the next week that help us to understand more about our relationship with God and the importance of reading the scriptures and knowing the scriptures in our lives. I would ask you today, when you do some self-inventory, do you make time to read the Bible on a daily basis? 
Say, Marty, you just don't understand my life. I'm too busy. My classes are really hard in school. I play a sport. I'm busy at work. I'm raising kids. We're chasing kids around ball fields. We have so much going on. I just can't fit that into my life. I'm too busy. Someone said it well. Give your time to the Redeemer, and the Redeemer will redeem your time. I would tell you today, if you're that busy, you need the Word of God more than anyone to guide you through all you're going through in your life. And I'm telling you today, great things will happen as you commit to spend daily time in the Scriptures. Because when you read the Scriptures, several things will happen in your life. Let me give those to you today. Number one, by the way, all that was just the introduction. But the, the sermon's short. It's a big front porch on a little house, okay? Trust me. All right. Number one, reading the Bible is important because Scripture will enlighten you. When you read Scripture... You have the revealed person of God, the ways of God, and the plan of God revealed to you. Scripture is God's revelation of himself. How many times have you been like me? Oh, God, if you would just speak from heaven. I have this big decision to make, God, and and if I could just know the answer written to the stars of the sky. God, if you would just speak audibly to me. If I could just hear your voice to give me confirmation then, God, I would know that you're real and know that you're guiding me. I would have the answers I need. The scriptures are God's revelation. You want God to speak to you audibly? Open the Bible. Read the pages of scripture. God is speaking today through his word. You don't need a message in the stars. You have the word of God spoken in your life. God's not trying to hide himself from you. The purpose of Scripture is for God to reveal Himself to you. And you can approach the Word of God with the confidence of the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes so that I may see, may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. When you seek the Lord through the Scriptures, He enlightens your mind and your heart. In particular... The salvation that comes in Jesus Christ because he is the focus of divine revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of man's sin separating him from a holy God. Our need for someone to make atonement for our sin because we can't do it. And the lamb that would be sacrificed in the Old Testament system was not sufficient. It looked toward a future unblemished lamb, the lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And when we look to Jesus Christ, who is the focus of divine revelation, we find that story right here in the pages of the Bible. It enlightens us to the plan of salvation God has for us that only comes through Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say of himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father. No one has access to heaven. No one gets forgiveness. No one dies on this earth and enters into heaven except through me. Jesus is the only way, and Scripture enlightens us to that reality. So when we spend time in the Bible, we find that Scripture enlightens us. Number two, Scripture will convict you. Man, our world's upside down, isn't it? We don't know left from right, top from bottom, right from wrong. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Even Christian people, because we've departed from the Word of God, have lost our moral compass. Our worldview is watered down when it comes to our Christian faith. But when we spend time reading the Bible, 
The Holy Spirit keeps our lives on track. We're convicted of our sin. We're convicted to believe the truth of the Word. And that keeps us out of the ditches of life. The Word of God in your life becomes guardrails for you. And when you read the Scripture, it keeps your life from going off a cliff. It's so important to spend time in the Scriptures to keep your life on track. As you're in Psalm 119, look at verses 9 through 11. A familiar passage to us, but it says there, and this is great for our students today, how can a young man or young woman keep his or her way pure by keeping your word? God, how do I stay pure in this world? How do I make right decisions? How do I keep my life from going off in a ditch somehow? It's by living according to the word of God. The psalmist says, I've sought you with all my heart, Don't let me wander from your commands. How does he avoid wandering off? How does he avoid going off the cliff? Verse 11, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's your word, God, that keeps me from going off into the ditch. It's the the thing that keeps me on the straight path God has for me. As Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, the word of God is living, we said that a moment ago, and it's a effective, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when we open the Bible, when we get up in the morning or before we go to bed at night and we start reading the scriptures, we go to a Bible study, we hear preaching the word of God, this word being active and living, it's not ancient and dead, it is God's word for ancient people people today and people throughout the rest of time, the Word of God standing forever, being God's Word breathed out to us, is still moving among us. And if we listen to the Word of God, study the Word of God, Scripture convicts us all the way to the core of who we are. Why do people go off in crazyville in our world today? Their system of morality being so thorny because we've de-anchored ourselves, we've loosened our moorings to the Word of God. And as a result, we have no moral compass. It's the Word of God that convicts us. Next, let me point out, as we read the Scripture, it will encourage us. We all need to be encouraged, right? We've all got stuff going on that gets us down. Through the Bible, we find encouragement because we're hearing from God. And our God is a good God, the God of all encouragement. So today, today if you're down about your job relationships, health, whatever other mess you're going through, the Bible brings encouragement in your life. Now, I'm not here to say it's going to take away all your problems, everything's going to get better if you just read the Bible, but I'll tell you this, it'll give you a different perspective about your problems. It'll bring you encouragement as you try to traverse your problems and get through to the other side. Psalm 119, verse 165. Listen to this. Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. Isn't that crazy today? We go through life lacking peace because of the stuff that happens. You know why we lack peace? You know why we feel so upside down and turmoil and our heads so cloudy about what to do in life and all the mess that's going on and we get so discouraged, so down, so out? It's because we're not living in the Word of God. Because abundant peace belongs to those who love the Word of God. Peace comes from reading the Bible because in the pages of Scripture we learn about our faithful, 
powerful, providing God, we learn of a Father who loves us and cares for us. The Scriptures give encouragement to the discouraged. When Joshua and the people of God were scared about the future, they didn't know what was next, they didn't know what to do, things were looking bleak. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth, You are to meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to observe everything written in it. Okay, so God tells Joshua and the people, spend time in the Word. Meditate on it. Take it to heart. Memorize it. Start living it out. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Word of God will do that for you. Finally, when you read the Bible, we find all these benefits. Scripture will uh, encourage you, enlighten you, it will convict you, and finally, it will guide you. You ever faced a fork in the road? Don't know if I need to go this way or that way. What do I do? I don't know how to make this decision. Remember Yogi Bear, the baseball player, he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. That's not very helpful, right? I mean, which way do you go? What do I do here? Well, the Scripture becomes our guide. If you're confused about the future today, if you're uncertain about a decision, the Word of God brings insight and direction. Psalm 119, verses 99 and 100. Listen to this. I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the elders because I obey your precepts. You know, we want to go, when we have a problem, we get perplexed about what to do in life and what college to go to, what job to take. Should I move to that new town? Should we have more kids? What do we do about our finances? All the stuff. Man, I need to go ask somebody. I need to read this person and talk to this person and hear from that guy or that lady. And if I get all this stuff from all these people, I'll be smarter about what I need to do in my life. And the scripture says, you want to be wise? You want to have greater wisdom than anyone around you? Turn to the word of God And let it guide you. Because there, in God's Word, it'll shift your thinking from what college and what job and what decision in my family and all that stuff to here's how to glorify God in your life. And when you walk with God and your life is bringing Him glory, all that other stuff will take care of itself. You'll end up in the right job. You'll end up at the right college. You'll end up with the right financial situation. You'll end up exactly where you need to be because you're obeying the Word of God, you're honoring the Lord and bringing Him glory, and the rest of the stuff, God's directing your steps. It's it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, bring glory to Him, and He will make your path straight. You see, we spend all of our time trying to make our path straight. Let me figure this out and and decipher what I need to do with this thing and get some advice about this other problem in my life when what we need to do is turn to the living Word of God and let it guide us, meditate on it day and night. Then we will have more insight than anyone else around us because that's what God wants to lead us to do, to glorify Him. So He's not going to put us in the wrong places. He's not going to put us in the wrong career path, the wrong family situations. I'm going to put us in the wrong places if our life is dedicated to bringing him glory because those things would subtract from that. It's not a trick. God wants us to abide in him and then all the stuff is just extra. 
What did Jesus tell us? Don't worry about all the things of life. Don't worry about clothes and food and houses and all the stuff. Walk with me, seek first my kingdom, and I'll take care of all the rest. That's what God promises to do in your life as you seek him in his word. That's why the psalmist said in 105, chapter 119, says the word of God is a guide to us. What does it say? Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. You go out in the woods at night, those of you who like to hunt, you're outside with a flashlight at some point, you, you shine that light, you have that lantern, you're old, you know, you, you go out in the woods, whatever, the, the light, what does it do? Does it, does it brighten the whole sky and like the sun came out? No, it illuminates your path step by step. Now, if you're like me, you go, well, God, if you would, just kind of shine the whole sun down on my circumstances. Let me see the whole thing. I like to plan. I like to have all the details. I want to I have it all in order. I want to have it all figured out because this thing leads to that thing, leads to the next thing. God, make it all just right. Show me the way. If God did that in my life, you know what I would end up doing? I'd forget about him. I don't need him anymore. I know everything I need to know. And faith, and that journey of faith just falls away. God illuminates our path and shows us what we need to know step by step. He illuminates our path and he does it through his word. It guides us to where we need to go. If you need guidance in your life, open the word of God. It's a lamp for your feet. It's a light on your path. Do you believe the Bible is true? If you do, then you need to read it. You need to study it in your life. So as I ask you today, as we come to the conclusion... We had a challenge last week to read the Bible this week. Did you spend time in God's Word every day last week? It's okay if you didn't. Today's a new day. Today's a fresh start. That's behind us. You can't change that. But if you didn't make that commitment or you made the commitment but failed at it, let's renew that commitment today. Let's set up with a fresh start that the next seven days we're going to spend time reading God's Word every day. If you're new to the Scripture, you're new to faith, you don't really know much about this Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus, I want to ask you to do this. Turn this week to the Gospel of John and read a chapter a day. Read one chapter of the Gospel of John and you'll understand who this Jesus is and what he has done for you. For those of you who are people of faith, you've not read the Bible, it's just not been a regular part of your life, begin this week. Read a paragraph, read a chapter, find a book of the Bible. You need wisdom, go to Proverbs. You want to understand more about God's love and forgiveness and know more about your salvation, 1 John. You want to learn more about Jesus, go to the Gospel of John. Start somewhere. Don't start like this. Well, the pastor preached about reading the Bible, so I'm going to start with Genesis and I'm going to read through Revelation this week. You're probably not going to do that. God bless you if you do. We're not trying to set you up for failure. Let's take a step, our next step toward Jesus, our next step in studying the Scripture. Make a commitment over these next seven days. You're going to spend five minutes, 50 minutes, whatever it looks like, studying the Word of God. Will you make that commitment and do it right now? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your Word. As we study it today, we find that it gives us all this help in life. Father, thank you for not leaving us as orphans, not leaving us on our own to try to decipher what to do and how to live in this life. God, you've shown us everything we need in your word it is sufficient we believe it to be sufficient we believe it to be true we believe it to be spoken by you and preserved through the ages down to this moment where we hold this precious book that gives us guidance 
that shows us the way of salvation, the way of knowing you and walking with you. So, Father, help us now to make commitment to study your word this week. With our heads are bowed, eyes closed in this moment. It's a simple commitment. It'll be life-changing. Read a verse, read a paragraph, read a page. However God's leading you, whatever commitment you feel like you can make, make it right now in this moment. Pray, Father, I commit to read the scriptures every day this week. Maybe you can state in the mount, God, I'll spend X number of minutes. I'll read X amount. Make that commitment. Hold yourself accountable to the commitment you're making to God. It's not something we're doing to just check a box or be trite or trivial about. We're making commitments to God himself to honor the word he's given to us because we believe in it. It's shown us the way of salvation. It makes a way. It shows us where we need to go, how we need to live. It gives us direction. It shows us how to love the Lord and honor Him with our lives. This is a paramount, important decision to make today. So right now again, make that commitment. God, I will read your word every day this week. For some here today, you've never been one to study the Bible. You've never been one to be a person of faith. You're not sure exactly what the talk is about making Jesus your Savior and Lord and your need for salvation. We want to help you to understand, to take next steps in your faith. We want to help you to know what it means to be a Christ follower. How you can look to Christ to be your hope for eternal life. Your way of salvation. Your way of becoming God's child. To know the God who made you. Today, if you need to trust Christ, we're here to help you, to serve you any way we can. If you need to trust Christ today, I hope you'll speak to me as I walk down to the front here as we sing this song. I'll be waiting for you. You come as we sing. You say, Marty, I need Jesus. I'll be here to answer your questions, to help you to take those next steps. If you need a church family, I hope you'll come and speak to me now. Say, Marty, I, I want to join this church help you to make that decision other commitments that need to be made we encourage you to come and kneel here at the front take your stand take that physical step and that physical experience of kneeling to kind of cement in your mind that decision you're making your mind and heart today something memorable and tangible to remind you of the commitment you're making so we invite you to come as we sing let God speak to you as he speaks to us each and every day, each and every moment, all the time when we open his word. I believe today that as we've opened his word, he's spoken to us about our need to read the Bible. He's convicted us about things I haven't even talked about today because his word is living and active. His word goes out. He says it will not return to him void. He is speaking to us. So now respond in this moment as we sing. Father, we make these commitments to honor you. We do not hold back but we make commitment right now in this moment to honor you, to give our lives more completely to you, to take steps towards salvation, church membership, commitment in the discipleship process. God, you're moving in so many ways. We hear your voice. We feel that prompting. We respond right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. I'll be waiting here at the front. You come now.
God is speaking to you about some decision you need to make, I would love to talk with you. You bow and pray as we sing. Let God speak. Let's make commitment to Him. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who being on today and missionaries serving and preaching the gospel right now all across this globe is empowered through your generosity. So church folks, don't forget to give your offering as you dismiss today in one of our offering boxes. Goody, give us an update on all that happened at D-Now and then you'll close in prayer. I gotcha. Well guys, it's, uh, it has been an incredible weekend. Um, there have been over 400 students gathered together from all parts of the county uh, and even some other counties. Um, yeah. Um, 100 and, 130 some odd from right here at First Baptist Church on the square. Um, this is an incredible group right here. Um, so if you're out here and you are, if you are worried about our future generations, guys, I promise you there is hope. Uh, now, it's not because of anything that they've done, but it's because that they've discovered that there is nothing more fulfilling and better than pursuing a relationship with Jesus. That's what gives me hope, because they are figuring that out. Um, I, I just want to give you a, a few numbers from this weekend. I, I, look. There are a ton of you in this room that have helped us get to this point this weekend. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for a church that supports us, like Marty said, 
I'm grateful to, to get to serve in a church that lets us throw our luggage in the next room and come up to the stage and worship. And I, I'm grateful to be a part of this family. Now, because of everything that got us to this point, I want y'all to listen to these numbers. And there's some follow-up to do after this weekend, but we had 65 of our students commit to spend more time in the Word every single day. We had 13 that desire to have more one-on-one discipleship. So if you're in this room right now and you've thought to yourself, I'm I'm really wanting to, to pour into our younger generation, guess what? They're craving it. They want it. Let's make it happen. And then this is the number. That group right there. 17 students making a first time profession of faith. Stepping from. Seventeen students moving from death to life, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. They were dead, they were blind, but now they're alive and they see 17 lives radically changed by the gospel this weekend. And I just, man, we get to be a part of that. God lets us be a part of that. Church, God is good. God is good. He is on the move. He is doing big things. And here's what I want to do. In true student ministry fashion, on a big weekend like this, we're going to end uh, this morning on a, on a big note. Uh, students, get up here. Listen to them. You, you know what to do. So uh, I'll, let me pray for us real quick. Oh, nope, nope, nope. Oh, nope. Let's go. Let's go.
with sounding cymbals, praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. his word. See you guys next week.